Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Let us pray. Oh God, by your Spirit, tell us what we need to hear and show us what we ought to do. To obey Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. The lesson for today is found in Isaiah, chapter 64, verses 1 through 9. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, so that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil. To make your name known to your adversaries, so the nation might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God beside you, who works for those who wait for him. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember in your ways, but you were angry, and we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean, and our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquity is like the wind. Take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. Yet, O Lord, you are the Father, we are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember iniquity forever. Now consider, we all are your people. This is the word of the Lord. Familiar calls of Advent is that we keep awake. So while I hope that you had a joyous Thanksgiving, I also trust if you are here that you are relatively tryptophan free. (laughs) And I will be watching. (laughs) Our New Testament passage comes from Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. Paul writes to the church Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given to you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in him, in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end, so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Let the people say. I couldn't help but envy Tom. He seemed so certain. 
When I met him, he was spending his second summer in a row walking across the ancient route in Spain, commonly known as the Camino de Santiago, also called the Way of St. James. He was about 470 miles into the 500-mile, four-week walking pilgrimage from Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port, on the French side of the Pyrenees, to the majestic cathedral in the city of Santiago. I was doing a much saner distance, just about 68 miles, so when our paths converged, he'd already walked three weeks longer than me. Hailing from Boston, Tom recognized me as a fellow American by my maize and blue ball cap. <laughs> hey, Michigan, he yelled out to me as I started to pass him. Where are you going so fast? It was easy to like Tom. He was transparent and open, and we walked together for a while. So what are you doing here? A common question among pilgrims. I'm a Presbyterian pastor here with a group of women from our church in Ann Arbor, and 14 of us are spread out here along the way. What are you doing here? Tom shared that the summer before, he'd walked the same route the first time. Then, he said, I came because I was mad, angry at God. My wife had cancer and we prayed for her. Our whole town, our whole parish prayed for her. People all over the world prayed for her, and she died. So I came here. It seemed like a good place to find God, and I had a few things to say to him. Tom told me about the first two days. Starting in the mountains, the hardest terrain he had ever hiked, he wasn't prepared for the physical or the spiritual demands. Within the first two days, I walked all that anger out of me, he said, and the next three and a half weeks were just plain fun. Pilgrims have all kinds of reasons for walking the Camino. Why did you come back again this year, I asked. Tom paused and looked me in the eye and said, because of the first two words of the Apostles' Creed, I believe. Those are powerful words. They are words that launched a stout New England widower on an improbable walk of 500 miles. I believe in God the Father Almighty. Well, over the next three miles together, Tom let me ask him about his beliefs, and being a faithful Catholic, he was eager to share them. God is, he said. God made us in love. God became one of us in the incarnation of Jesus so that Jesus could walk in our shoes. God could understand our struggles. And in that Jesus, he also gave us a model for living as disciples, a perfect model. And then he got hung up on a cross that would bridge the gap between God and us because we're sinners and because of that, we're forgiven, and we're freed to live in joy on this side of heaven. Tom was unusually articulate, I have found, about the beliefs that we held in common. On other things, he was a little overconfident for my Protestant taste. <laughs> Tom is sure about the Catholic Church's creeds and doctrines. He believes in angels and saints and the infallibility of the Pope. He believes the story of St. James. Jesus' disciple, whom we learn from the book of Acts, became the first martyred apostle in 44 AD. Beyond that, Tom believes and holds firm to the legend that through a bizarre set of circumstances, James' decapitated body mysteriously sailed to Spain, where he had preached earlier in his life, was finally found in the ninth century, 
dug up and relocated to be housed in a silver tomb inside the Cathedral of Santiago, the Cathedral of St. James. Because Tom believes that, he has joined millions of people who over a thousand years have made this walking pilgrimage to the cathedral, to that silver tomb. Tom was also, no doubt, walking because he wanted to tell his fellow pilgrims that he believes, and I was no doubt one of many to hear his story. And if he stays healthy, he will come again next summer, and after another 500 miles of battering his body, he will arrive in the cathedral again to do what pilgrims do when they get there. Sit for Mass, walk by the tomb of St. James' supposed remains, go for confession, and finally hug the huge golden statue of St. James that is enshrined in the middle of this amazing cathedral. I believe, he said, words that set him on a journey, words that got him through his wife's death, words that will sustain him for the rest of his life. He was a model of belief. He was one kind of model of faith. I'm not sure what I believe. That was not Tom, but Todd. On my second day on the Camino, I waited in line for the bathroom next to this fellow Midwesterner at a little coffee shop. Todd's a 24-year-old former Methodist who's joined the ranks of 46 million unaffiliated adults who consider themselves spiritual in some way. He, he was part of a, a small team of documentary filmmakers on the Camino to walk alongside a 76-year-old man named Phil. Phil had a dream to finish the 500-mile Camino before he died, and time was short because Phil was battling terminal brain cancer. The week I met Todd and Phil, they had flown in for the fourth time from the States, this time to complete the last 100 kilometers, the last seven days of the Camino, in between Phil's chemotherapy treatments. Todd was incredibly moved by Phil's witness and story, as were we all, even as he had the camera to record it. But he told me, I really don't know how I got here. It started out as a job, but the longer I walk, the more invested I am in getting to the end. Now, Todd was a little underconfident for me because he had been in Sunday school his whole life, knew the Bible, had gone to his church youth group. He'd been confirmed. But God didn't seem very present in the world anymore, and that made him question everything he'd learned. Todd told me, it's not just Phil, this way is changing me. They say the Camino has something for everyone. If I keep walking with Phil, I'll figure out why I was supposed to be here by the time I get to Santiago. Todd was open. Todd had hope that he would take whatever the Camino gave him. He was actively waiting to see what God had to show him. He hoped for signs and directions in his young life. Todd was another kind of model for faith. Our band of Ann Arbor pilgrimettes gathered in the evenings to talk about where we met God that day, and each of us had spoken with men and women and families about why they were there. For many, it was a trip of spiritual significance. A few were doing it in, in tribute to a loved one who had died, and quite a few were just trying to lose weight. 
we continued to think about our own reasons for coming. We weren't like those who felt called before the end of our earthly lives to reach what might be the remains of a saint. Presbyterians aren't required to take a spiritual pilgrimage to achieve holiness, and none of us had a lifelong goal like Phil. We wanted to reach the cathedral, attend the mass, and certainly hug the statue, but we were not going to sit for private confession. Yet we weren't like Todd either. We had taken the time away from family and work with some purpose to reflect on our faith in Jesus, to have some time with God on a holy landscape, to share some connections with others searching for peace within and peace with God. We'd committed to morning and evening devotions and working our way through a daily spiritual journey, but what was our goal? And had we been intentional enough about considering our purpose, could we, as clearly as Tom, said what we believe? Well, on this first day of the Christian year, we are plunged into the season of Advent, plucked out of the liturgical season that we've been calling ordinary time with its ordinary green stoles and paraments, a color that signifies growth. Now we're into the extraordinary four weeks of royal purple preparation for the birth of the King of Kings. It's the Camino de Advent, I'll call it, the way of Jesus. Like the ancient Camino in Spain, this Camino de Advent also takes four weeks. There are plenty of overconfident Toms and un underconfident Tods on this journey with us, not to mention people just where they are, Rob and Lorna and Graham, people that have stories to share and tell. Together we will make a merry band that will travel to the 24th of December to midnight. We'll often travel by the advent candlelight of peace, joy, hope, and love. And at midnight we are destined not to enter Santiago but Bethlehem, opening the doors not to a cathedral but to a stable, not to shuffle past a tomb, but a manger, not to utter our confession, but our affirmation that Christ is born. In Spain, it was very easy to get distracted from God's presence with us. There was tendinitis, sunburned arms, souvenir shops, and luscious cheeses and wines. On this Camino, no doubt, this way to Jesus, you and I will not be spared any diversions either. All around, we are tempted by the commercialization of Christmas, the anxiety of family gatherings, the uncertainty of weather and travel, the plethora of holiday parties, the co-opting of Jesus' birthday by a guy in a big red suit. Consider this, if you are asked, why are you here, how would you answer? Imagine if to friends or strangers you meet this Advent season, you have to clearly say why you're walking this way instead of the way of the world. Advent is a spiritual pilgrimage, a journey to Jesus. If you got caught up in your turkey and you forgot that we were leaving on this journey this morning, let me give you a little advice. Pack light. Leave your previous experiences and expectations on this journey behind be open to what comes to you as we travel together because each week there'll be new insights from old scriptures and hymns, new prayers and Advent email devotionals like the great one we read this morning from Sandy Talbot. 
Old memories will travel with us and new memories will be made. And when you have a chance to stop and rest, take it. The terrain has every hill and valley, rough places and plains. In this sweet trip, this Camino, it happens to be very tiring. You'll need energy to think about why we needed a savior in the first place and more importantly, why we still need one. Fill your spiritual camelback with hope. Spiritual nourishment to keep you open on the journey and looking for your destination. Hope will help you cope with those onlookers, those standing on the side of the road who aren't so encouraging and are maybe even a little disparaging. Along the Camino in Spain, there was a saying oft repeated, your Camino begins in Santiago. So too we know that the ultimate Camino is not a road that takes us to the manger of the first advent, but all the way to the second advent, Jesus coming again when there will be no more pain or sin or sadness or loneliness or cancer or poverty, where everything else humane and awful are cast away, when somehow it all finally makes sense. Our onlookers will point out that we pilgrims are dreamers, and oh yeah, we're sinners too. So, why are you here? I know that many of you are like my buddy Tom. You've got a buoyant faith. This Advent Camino is one you confidently take every year. You easily cross the distance from Isaiah to the Gospel of John to Revelation. Advent is a boost to your spiritual life. You know how to hold yourself above the consumer culture and find meaning, deep meaning, beyond material gift-giving. The first two words of the Apostles' Creed roll off your tongue. Suffering has happened, but you are intimately acquainted with grace. You're working with God's help to become a better Christian. So for you, Paul's words are words to describe you. You are blessed with spiritual gifts, and one of them is the gift of faith. So my words today really are mere encouragement for you on a journey you're already about to take. But there might be a Todd or two or a hundred in this room or someone with similar features. If you're a Todd, you might be on the Camino de Advent because it's what you do as a Christian. You might be along for the ride because it's part of the job. You behold the deeper faith of the people around you and you can't help but document your own uncertainty compared to theirs. Yet, something about this Advent journey calls you. It's kind of exciting. You are open to receive. You're a little unsure about what you believe about the first Advent, although it is a great story. Much less sure about the second Advent. Maybe you feel like God has stopped showing up so much and it's made you question. But like Todd, you have not lost all hope. And so the words of the prophet Isaiah that Will read describe you. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Israel was in exile, remember? Their temple was in ruins. But the God who had intervened in history with awesome deeds is now holding back. Sometimes he seems to be hiding himself. The prophet begs for God to make a statement already. He tries to rouse God with flattery and then with self-flagellation. There must be some way to get God to come down. We can't give up hope. 
We can admit that we are not God. We're not really in control. All we know for sure is that we belong to God. And so Israel finds hope in his image of God, that God is the potter and and we are the clay. God is intimate and close to us, not far away, but molding us. Even if we can't feel it, we're in God's hands. For the Tods among us, Isaiah's pleading gives us a voice to our hopes that God would show us those hands. For our perception of God's inaction, God's perceived silence makes this Camino that much harder. Todd's want to focus on peace on earth, lambs and wolves lying down together, but instead you think about Newtown. Remember Newtown? You want to focus on this road to Bethlehem, but first you have to journey through Jerusalem, where Jews were butchered last week. Fume about Ferguson, worry over West Africa. Some days on this journey, you might pause and find yourself in Palestine, but the one where children are suffering in camps because they have no water. And when you lie down in a field with shepherds in a field to look up at the night sky, your mind wanders. You ponder your personal pain, your deep wounds that life has left. You meditate on the murder rate, agonize over ISIS, and find your anxiety going the same way as the rising seawaters. In her book, Still, Notes on a Midlife, Mid-Faith Crisis, Lauren Winner writes, "For For whole stretches since the baptism, my belief has faltered. My sense of God's closeness has grown strained. And yet, in those same moments, a strained belief of not knowing where or if God is, it also seems that the Christian story keeps explaining who and where I am better than any other story I know. Some days I'm not sure if my faith is riddled with doubt or whether graciously my doubt is riddled with faith. And yet I continue to live in a world the way a religious person lives in the world. I keep living in a world that I know to be changed and not left alone. I doubt, I am uncertain, I am restless, I am prone to wander. And yet glimmers of hope keep interrupting my gaze. Despite the very real distractions, the Todds and the Laurens among us have some good days on this journey. Some days that little clay pinch pot God has made of you is sturdy enough to put in the candle of the incarnation and to keep it burning for a while. And on those days you remember God did tear open the heavens and come down. Oh yeah, in Jesus. Isaiah's prophecy has been fulfilled. Maybe I'm the one who's being silent. As for me, some days I am Tom, and some days I'm Todd. Sometimes Isaiah speaks for me. Sometimes Paul's words challenge and define me. But this I know. I walked with a God who was present to me and the pilgrims beside me. I entered Santiago with more faith than when I'd started. I wonder if the same might be said about you at the end of your Advent Camino. Why are you here? Because of the first two words of the Apostles' Creed? Or because I'm not sure what I believe? Either way, or anything in between, There is a place for you. There is a place for you in this church. 
Paul wrote his words to a church, a community of faith not so unlike ours, and what did he say? He encouraged them, saying, grace is given to you in every way. You are not lacking in any spiritual gift. So friends, we have what we need together to go to the manger, to go beyond it into an unknown future. Each of us has a gift to share. Whether we are ready to simply receive the birth of Christ as it comes to us, or we are fully able to believe the story and everything beyond it, let's go together. Believing and hoping and waiting to see what happens in the end. Why are you here? God is the potter, we are the clay, we are all God's people. God is faithful. And I want to be faithful too. That answer, I think, is good enough. The peace of Christ be with you. Let us unite our hearts and minds in prayer. God of grace, child of peace, spirit of truth, we give you thanks for all the gifts you have given to enrich the whole church. We thank you that in Jesus Christ you have given us life and truth, grace and peace. Lord, there are times we doubt. Open our spiritual eyes so that we are ready to receive what you have to say us so that our lives will be renewed, so that we will believe. Lord, as we approach another Christmas and listen for the angelic anthem of peace on earth, grant to the world not only the traditional ceasefires that often suspend armed conflict at the season, but a spirit of reconciliation that should be the approach of the church of Christ. This morning we pray for, for those who are affected by gun, gun violence in this country. Also we pray for communities in Ferguson. Lord, may there be peace and reconciliation in Ferguson. And bless all who invest themselves in your work through the church, visiting the sick and the aged teaching classes, maintaining the pro property, doing committee work, and serving the poor and the homeless, and teaching faith to their loved ones. Be with them. Lord, hear our prayers for those who are passing through times of anxiety, sleepless, restless, not knowing what to do. Grant them peace of mind. Heal the sick, give hope to the hopeless, strengthen the weak, comfort the sorrowful, send friends to the lonely. These things we humbly pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.